0: Hi, and welcome back to Tales from the Past. Tales from the Past is my little passion project. This is a podcast for the lore and saga interested listener. i myself, am a Danish Viking reenactor, and I've been doing this for 12 years now. And I'm going to be reading out some of the biggest as well as the smallest sagas known from the past. Here, you'll be hearing the original tale of Ragnar Lothbrok. King Rolf, Gorm the Gamle, and Harold Luchus. I always recommend you guys to reach out and talk to me about the stories afterwards. You can do this either on my Twitter or leave a comment here on where you listen to the podcast. I enjoy talking about these tales and it really sparks something within me to get the chance to sit down and talk about stories that I grew up with. The sagas are very near and dear to my heart and they have always been. They tell ancient tales of mighty battles, of deception, of love and of betrayal and friendships. I really look forward to talking about these ancient tales stories with you guys and hope to hear what you might suggest next. For now, I invite you to pour yourself a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, or maybe even a cup of hot chocolate. Sit down and relax for the next 20-25 minutes with me. Today, I will be talking about Gorm the Old, or Gorm the Gamle, who was Denmark's first king. In ancient times, Denmark was not a kingdom, but a multitude of small provinces ruled over by warlike chiefs who called themselves kings. It was not until the 9th century that these little kingships were combined into one kingdom, this being done by a famous chieftain known by the Danes as Gorm the Gamle or Gorm the Old. A great warrior he was, a viking of the vikings, and southern Europe felt his heavy hand. A famous story of barbarian life is that of Gorm, which well deserves to be told. He was the son of a fierce pagan of Norway, Hardegon, who was of royal blood being a grandson of the half-fabulous Ragnar Lodbrok. A prince with only his sword for kingdom, Hardegon looked around for a piece of land to be won by fighting and fixed upon Lyra in the fruitful Danish island of Sjælland which was just then in a very inviting state for the Soldier of Fortune. Some time before it had fallen into the hands of a Swedish fortune-seeker named Olaf, who left it to his two sons. These in turn had just been driven out by Sigrid, the rightful king, when Haragon descended upon it and seized it for himself. Dying, he left it to his son Gorm. It was a small kingdom that Gorm had fallen heir to a lord's estate, we would call it today. But while small in size, it stood high in rank, for it was here that the great sacrifices to Odin, the chief Scandinavian deity, were held, and it was looked upon as one of the most sacred spots. Hitherto, at tide, came the devotees of Odin from all quarters to worship at his shrine, and offer gifts of gold and silver, precious stones and costly robes, to the twelve high priests of whom the king of was the chief. And every worshipper, whether rich or poor, was expected to bring a horse, a dog or a cock. These animals being sacred to Odin and sacrificed in large numbers annually at his shrine, In the special nine-year services, people came in great numbers, and it is probable that on these occasions, human sacrifices were made, captives taken in war, or piratical excursions being saved for this purpose. As one may see, the king of Lyra had excellent opportunity to acquire wealth, and young Gorm, being brave, clever and ambitious, used his riches to increase his landed possessions. At least the Danish historians tell us that he began by buying one bit of land, getting another by barter, seizing on one district, having another given to him and so on. But all this is guesswork. And all we actually know is that Gorm, the son of a poor though nobly born sea rover, before his death gained control of old Denmark, then much larger than the Denmark of today, and changed the small state with which he began into a powerful kingdom bringing all the small kings under his way. The ambitious chief did not content himself with this. Long before his kingdom was rounded and complete, he had become known as one of the most daring and successful of the Viking adventurers, who in those days made all Europe their prey. Early in his reign, he made a plundering cruise along the shores of the Baltic and joined in a piratical invasion of Russia penetrating far inward and pillaging as he went. We hear of him again in 882, as one of the chiefs of a daring band which made a conquering raid into Germany, entrenched itself on the river Mars, and sallied forth on plundering excursions, whose track was marked by ruined fields and burnt homesteads, villages and towns, and even assailed and took la Chapelle, one of the chief cities of the empire of Charlemagne, and the seat of his tomb. The reckless freebooters stalled their horses in the beautiful chapel in which the great emperor lay buried, and stripped from his tomb its gilded and silvered railings and everything of value which the monks had not hidden. The whole surrounding country was similarly ravaged and desolated by the ruthless heathens. Monasteries were burned, monks were killed or captured, and the emperor Charles the Fat was boldly defied. When Charles brought against the plunderers an army large enough to devour them, he was afraid to strike a blow against them and preferred to buy them off with a ransom of two thousand pounds of gold and silver, all he got in return being their promise to be baptised. Finding that they had a timid foe to deal with, the rapacious Norsemen asked for more and when they finally took to their ships two hundred transports were needed to carry away their plunder. The cowardly Charles, indeed, was so wrought upon by fear of the pagan Danes, that he even passed the incredible law that any who killed a Norseman should have his eyes put out and in some cases should lose his life. All this was sure to invite new invasions. A wave of joy passed through the north when the news spread of the poltroonry of the Emperor and the vast spoil awaiting the Daring Hand. Back they came, demanding and receiving new ransom and in 885 they began a great siege of Paris by 40,000 Danes. King Gorm was one of the chiefs who took part in this, and when Henry of Neustria, whom the emperor had sent with an army against him, was routed and driven back, it was Gorm who pursued the fugitives into the town of Soissons, where many captives and a great booty were taken. The dastard emperor again bought them off with money and freedom to ravage Burgundy, Paris being finally rescued by Count Uds. In 891, they were so thoroughly beaten by King Arnulf of Germany that their great leaders fell on the field, and only a remnant of the Norsemen escaped alive. The waters of the River Dyle running red with the blood of slain thousands. Gorm was one of the chiefs who took part in the disastrous Battle of Leuven and was one of the fortunate few who lived to return to the native land. Apparently, it was not the last of his expeditions, his wife Queen Tyra taking care of the kingdom in his many long absences. Tyra needed ability and resolution to fitly perform this duty, for those were restless and turbulent times, and the Germans made many incursions into Slesvig and Yutland, and turned the borderlines of the Eider into a desert. This grew so hard to bear, that the wise queen devised a plan to prevent it. Gathering a great body of workmen from all parts of Denmark, she set them to building a wall of defense from 45 to 75 feet high and 8 miles long, crossing from water to water on the east and west. This great wall, since known as the Denevierge, took three years to build. There were strong watchtowers at intervals and only one gate, and this was well protected by a wide and deep ditch crossed by a bridge that could readily be removed. For ages afterwards, the Danes were grateful to King Thura for this splendid wall of defence, and sang her praises in the national hymns, while they told wonderful tales of her cleverness in ruling the land while her husband was far away. Fragments of Tyra's rampart still remain and it remains formed the groundwork of all the later border bulwarks of Denmark. Queen Tyra, while a worshipper of the northern gods, showed much favour to the Christians and caused some of her children to be signed with the cross, but King Gorm was a fierce pagan and treated his Christian subjects so cruelly that he gained the name of the Church Worm, being regarded as one who was constantly gnawing at the supports of the church. Henry I, the Fowler, the great German Emperor of that age, angry at this treatment of the Christians, sent word to Gorm that it must cease, and when he found that no heed was paid to his words, he marched a large army to the ida, giving Gorm to understand that he must mend his ways, or his kingdom would be overrun. Gorm evidently feared the loss of his dominion, for from that time on he allowed the archbishop of Bremen to preach in his dominions and to rebuild the churches which had been destroyed, while he permitted his son Harald, who favoured the Christians, to be signed with the cross. But he kept to the fate of his forefathers, as did his own son Knud, known as Danast of the Danes Joy. The ancient sagas tell us that there was little love between Knud and Harald, and that Gorm, fearing ill results from this, swore an oath that he would put to death anyone who attempted to kill his firstborn son, or who should even tell him that Knud had died. While Harald remained at home and aided his mother, Knud was of his father's fierce spirit and for years attended him on his Viking expeditions. On one of these he was drowned, or rather was killed while bathing, by an arrow shot from one of his own ships. Gorm was absent at the time and Tyra scarcely knew how the news could be told him without incurring the sworn penalty of death. Finally, she put herself and her attendants into deep mourning and hung the chief hall of the palace with the ashy grey hangings used at the grey feasts of Northmen of noble birth. Then, seating herself, she awaited Gorm's return. On entering the hall, he was struck by these signs of mourning and by the silence and dejection of the queen, and broke out in an exclamation of dismay. My son, Knud, is dead. Thou hast said it, and not I, King Gorm, was the queen's reply. The news of the death had thus been conveyed to him without anyone incurring the sworn penalty. Soon after that, in 936, King Gorm died, and the throne of Denmark was left to his son, a cruel and crafty man whom many of the people believe to have caused the murder of his brother and this Harold of course is none other than Harold Bluetooth but his story is one for another day and by his death here ends the saga of Gorm there is plenty more to be told of his viking excursions of his many great deeds of him uniting Denmark into one whole Even so, there is much more to talk about his wife, Queen Tyra. But we could be talking about the badass women in the Viking Age for all eternity. This is a shorter episode than usually, and I hope you bear with me. I will be prepared to come back with another episode this month as well. So, I hope you're going to have a fantastic St. Patrick's Day. Please, do remember that we are still in a bit of a trouble with the pandemic so be safe and take care of the people around you i thank you for listening in today and i hope you're gonna have an amazing week thank you goodbye